Koppel, host of the Time for Coffee podcast, where you get firsthand career advice into the jobs and industries that interest you the most. And before we start today's show, I have a quick favor to ask you. If you haven't already, I'd be incredibly grateful if you give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And if you're like me, you need to do it now because you'll forget later and because it's the best way to help others who may be in search of career advice to find this free resource. So press pause if you haven't done it and do it right now. I'll wait. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hey there, Java Junkies. Welcome to another K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. By the way, K-Cups come in three sizes, single, double, and triple shots, or roughly one minute, five minutes, or ten minutes in length. So if you don't have time to throw back an entire caffeinated career conversation, these K-Cup mini-episodes of T4C can give you a quick caffeinated fix, whether you're on the go or you only have a few minutes to binge. So grab your mug and take a chug, because it's time for a caffeinated career triple-shot K-Cup with my guest, Stephen Kotler. Let's get into one of your superpowers, which is writing. And flashing back again, right after you met with the friend of yours at the advertising company who was trying to tell you maybe your future wasn't in advertising, and you then went all in on writing. And you decided you wanted to then make a living by writing. And just as the case For so many of our young listeners who are still in college or maybe, you know, just graduated, often there isn't a clear path to realizing these ambitions. You can say, I want to make a living as a writer, but then like, how do you do it? These often don't come with like instruction manuals. So can you talk about how you began to make that a reality? You've touched on the extreme sports. There was... A bit of observing or maybe riding a new trend that you saw, a new national obsession that was beginning with extreme sports. And I, you know, I can tell you the story that you're poking at, and I will. I don't necessarily know if that's how I came to my career. You know what I mean? Because writing journalism is this incredible career where you can, if you're put words together in a straight line, you can get paid to, to be curious. And I was really curious about two things at the start of my career. One of which was really fascinated by people. I want to know how do people work. And that was really neuroscience for me. I wasn't interested in psychology. It felt too squishy. It felt too subjective. It didn't feel rigorous enough for me. But in the 90s, when that, this was all happening, behavioral neuroscience was just becoming a field. And this is like the neurobiology of how do human emotions work? How does fear work? How does courage work? All these things. We were just starting to piece those answers together as the field of of neurobiology was. That was fascinating. So I was writing a lot of stories about neuroscience. And simultaneously, I think this is what you were alluding to. I was writing a lot of stories about action sports. And action sports in the 1990s, were they were a punk rock subculture, right? These were not 
main, they weren't in the Olympics. They weren't in the mainstream. They were really weird outsider things, but they were starting to shift. The X Games had just started. The Gravity Games, Mountain Dew had, a, had, had their version of the X Games, which was called the Gravity Games. There was, there was money. And there were all these new magazines around that I was talking about earlier that wanted to cover this subject. But like, it meant that if you could write and ski or ride and surf or ride and rock climb, there was work. And I couldn't even do those things very well, but I was obsessed with the sports and I lied to my editors and I spent about the better portion of 10 years chasing professional athletes around mountains and around oceans. And this is, this was the foundation of my career and the sort of the, the backstory in the art of possible because you know anything about action sports in the 1990s, it's, it's referred to as the so-called era of impossible where more impossible, never been done, never going to be done feats got done than ever before. And the stuff wasn't just getting done. It was being iterated upon. So people were literally innovating on the edge of the impossible and none of it made sense, but this is what really caught my attention. It wasn't just that people were in every surfing and skiing and rock climbing and snowboarding and mountain biking, all these sports, they were extending barriers. They pushed past barriers faster and farther than everybody had done before. It was these athletes. This was a punk rock weirdo subculture. And most of the people I knew, I was living in Squaw Valley at the time, and uh, which was one of the meccas of these communities. Most of the people I knew were like, they came from broken homes, crappy childhoods. They had little education. They had no money. There was a lot of high-risk behavior. There was some drugs. There was some drinking. Normally, you put those things together in a community. People die young and go to jail. They don't reinvent what's possible for the human species. And so that caught my attention. Like, what the hell is going Why is this happening? How is it happening? How is it happening to these people? Because I always tell people it's, it's a very different thing. Like, when you see, you know, a big wave surfer, you watch a Red Bull movie, you see Laird Hamilton surfing a 100-foot wave or Ian Wall surfing a 100-foot wave or something like that. And you think, okay, that's like, that's crazy. That's insane. It's on a screen. It's far away. It's a totally different thing when you're out drinking on a Friday night with your friends. And then you wake up Saturday morning. Everybody's a little hungover and tired. You go into the mountains and the guy you were drinking with the night before goes out and does something that for all of recorded history was impossible, was not really possible for the human body. And it's not just like somebody did it. It's like, your friend who you were drinking with the night before did it. That's a totally different, like, then you're like, well, wait a minute, this stuff, either our definition of impossible is wrong or that like something else is going on because it doesn't, it was so personal. It didn't really didn't make much sense to me. So that was sort of where it all started for me just trying to solve that puzzle of like, what is going on? And once I sort of started to put the answer together in action sports, I wanted to know, well, is this true in art, in science, in business, in technology? And I took this question of what does it take to do the impossible into every domain and asked that question and used science to and try to find the answer and then wrote books about what I discovered. And that's essentially what I've done for the past 30 some years. And it's my career. I always said, like, I followed an idea right off the edge of the world. That's all I did. And yes. for worse, but I, that's all I did. I followed an idea right off the edge of the world. Yes. And while you were covering your buddies doing all these impossible things, flying off the sides of mountains or surfing waves that were beyond the height of anything that any other human had done before, you also had a side hustle to that, right? You had to bartend. You mentioned the slaying oh, yeah. of drinks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, sure. you weren't, yeah. you no, weren't I was a making bartender. rent. Yeah, I was a bartender until I was 28. 
So I started bartending in college. So through college, through grad school, pay for grad school, and up to the time I was 28. And I, you know, I really had a friendly boss who would let me take two weeks off to go report a story and then come back. And it was a really, it was a really cool bar. And bartending was great money. It's a great way to make a living also. Super fun job, I have to say. Yeah, so I, I worked two jobs. And then, I mean, people don't think about it because they don't put this together, but magazine writing and book writing are actually two different jobs. Being a journalist and being an author are actually two different jobs. So even when I stopped being a bartender and moved into writing, quote unquote, full time. I was two thirds a magazine journalist and a journalist to pay my bills. And I was starting to write my books. And I mean, I think the advance of my first novel, which took 11 years to write, think it was $5,000. Just to give you an idea of like, it was, which I think a sub sub fraction of a penny an hour is what I was working for. Right by the time I was all sitting down, I don't think I was even making a full, a complete living from my books until I was probably in my late thirties. It took another decade and of working. I was doing what I wanted, but I had bosses. I was working for other people. I was still somebody else. I was still somebody's bitch. Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to this latest episode of T4C. And if you're interested in learning more about my coaching services for confused college students and recent grads, feel free to check out the Time for Coffee website under the coaching tab at time, the number four, coffee.org or text me at 202-236-5712. That's 202-236-5712. Thank you.